would that be that that would be all of our testimonies this morning that he's everything to us this morning I want to take you for the next little while to the Old Testament uh, to the book of Daniel now, I know that there are some who don't care for the Old Testament stories I happen to particularly like them there are those that feel that the Old Testament is usually about prophets saying woe unto you and uh, with condemnation and so on and uh, sometimes it can be a little bit uncomfortable listening to some of the things from the Old Testament. But uh, Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. He said that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning and for building us up and for us to learn. And so we're going to look, listen this morning. So for those of you that are a little concerned, I suggest that you fasten your seatbelts because it could be a little bit of a bumpy ride. And uh, we're going to see what we can learn this morning from God's Word. Daniel is a wonderful book. And uh, the first six chapters of Daniel are just packed full of a wonderful story. Unfortunately, it's a story that many kids hear in Sunday school, and then we don't hear too much of after that. Just like David, many people have heard about how he killed Goliath, but don't know anything about the life that he lived and how God used him. And the same thing with Daniel. Most of the people that went to Sunday school at some time have learned about Daniel in the lion's den, but don't know a great deal about this young man's life. And so I want to just, uh, although we're in the book of Daniel, it would be hard for me this morning because I'm going to look at capsulizing the first six chapters of Daniel. And so I suggest that what you do is go home and read it for yourself and uh, pray that God will just enlighten you as to all the truths that are in here and the examples that there are for us to follow. And not only that, it gives us insight as to how God wants us to live and uh, why, how he wants to bless our lives. Many times I've told my young people, if you honor God, he'll honor you. And it's good instruction. It's scriptural. And we find that in the book of Daniel, that the, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, honored God in, in a huge way. And how God in turn honored them and set them in a high place in the, in the country in which they lived. Daniel starts off with telling us how King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king at the time, king of Babylon. Babylon was a great empire at the time. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar marched against Israel, against Jerusalem. And he went in against Jerusalem, the holy city of God. And after a standoff for some time, until the armies of Israel behind the walls of Jerusalem uh, could no longer stand up against them. They had run out of food and so on. And so the king was able to go in and, and take over the city. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down. And then the temple desecrated and burned and, and the great bronze pillars that Solomon had put up in that great edifice were taken to Babylon when the king went back. And the articles of consecration to the Lord, the, the goblets and the, the dishes from the temple and other articles of gold and silver 
were taken and, and taken back to Babylon. But the most significant thing is that the king also took with him many of the brightest and best of the young people of Israel. He took also artisans and craftsmen and military. We, we find that in Kings. And he took these because his intention was he was not any dumb king. His intention was that when he took these brightest and, and uh, smartest of the country back to his own country, that he would integrate them into the society of the country and he would educate them and they would serve in the king's palace and he would have the opportunity to use their talents and, uh, and so on. And so we find that uh, amongst these people that were taken back was Daniel and his three friends. And they were taken, there was, there were certain stipulations if you were going to work in the king's palace. These young men had to be handsome without any kind of physical defect. They had to be young men of learning, well brought up. And then they were taken and for three years they were trained in the king's palace under the king's scrutiny. And after three years they were presented to the king. And he chose from them the ones that he thought were the best fitted for his kingdom and his purposes. And so when it starts off, we find that Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, I can't even say it unless I say it in order, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they were taken to the king's palace. And the first thing we find out is that they're set down to eat. And as they're sitting down to eat, all the luxuries from the king's pantry are set before them. But Daniel and his friends were cognizant of the dietary laws of Israel. And even though they had come to a foreign country and no longer under the watch of the priests and so on of their country, they knew that God was still with them and he was watching. And they would not displease him. And so they, they, it says that, that Daniel, and I love the wording, Daniel refused, Daniel purposed in his heart, he resolved that he would not defile himself by eating the meat from the king's table. And neither would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so respectfully, they talked to the guy in charge, and they said, could we have permission to eat our own food, to eat just vegetables and drink water instead of drinking the wine and eating the meat? And the guy said, are you crazy? Like, the king will have my head. He's looking for strong young men, healthy young men. And if you have that kind of a diet, there's no way that that's going to fly with him. And so they persisted. And they said, look, um, give us a test. For 10 days, let us eat uh, our own food and drink our water. And after 10 days, you come and test us and see how it is with us. And so he agreed to that. And in 10 days, when he came back to them, they were stronger and healthier than any of the other ones that were sitting and eating meat and drinking wine from the king's table. And at the end of their time there, they were brought before the king with the others. And they were ten times greater than any of the others that had come. Now, remember, the others that were with them were also brought out of Israel. They were also aware of the king's, of, of God's direction for them, of his laws for them. But it's very easy to blend in with the society that you live in. When nobody is watching, when there's no accountability for you, 
you can make all sorts of excuses and so on. And they did. And they partook of exactly what the king put in front of them. And the ones that honored God were the ones that were chosen. We find a series of King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And the first one was about a head of gold, this this statue with head of gold and so on. And, and he calls the wise men and it's an amazing thing he asks of them. He says, listen, wise men, uh, if you're so wise, I want you to not interpret the dream for me. I want you to tell me first what the dream was and then tell me the interpretation. I mean, they're shaking their heads because they know that this is impossible. But you see, he was not stupid He knew, and we find this in other situations in the scripture, that the wise men had a tendency, probably for the sake of their own heads, to tell the king exactly what they knew he'd want to hear. And so it wouldn't have mattered what his dream was. They would have still interpreted it as being something that the king wanted to hear. So Nebuchadnezzar, to his credit, said, "Uh uh-uh, I want to know what the dream means. So they said, well, king, like it's impossible. We can't do this. Nobody has ever done it. Nobody will ever be able to do it. Well, Daniel was told about, because he said to them, you tell what this means and, and what I dreamed, or you're dead men. And so they couldn't, so they were all going to be shipped out to be killed, all the wise men. And Daniel and his friends who were, who were very favored in the land, Daniel was, brought, was told of this. And as he was told of this, he went to the king and he says, uh, King, give me a little bit of time, and I'll be able to tell you what your dream was and the interpretation of it. And so the king said, well, okay. And Daniel went back to his friends, and he said, look, guys, we need to pray. We need to ask God for the answer to this right now. And this is a matter of life and death. So they prayed, and God gave to Daniel the interpretation and the dream. And so Daniel went back to the king And he said, God has given me the answer. So he told him the dream and he interpreted it for him. And because of this, Daniel was placed as like prime minister of the country. And at his request, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also placed in places of honor, like premiers of the provinces of of Babylon. And then we find Nebuchadnezzar making an image of gold. It was about 90 feet high and 9 feet across, and they put it out on the plains of one of the provinces in Babylon. And all the officials and the important people in the land were gathered together for the dedication of this particular idol. They were instructed that whenever the music played, wherever they were, whatever they were doing, whenever the instrumentalists played, They were to fall down and worship this idol. Well, everyone did this except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And pretty soon those that hated them, because they were Jews in a foreign land and yet they had these places of honor, they went to the king and ratted them out. And uh, before you know it, the king is furious and he calls these young men in before him. And they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And this isn't just like a house furnace. This is a furnace you could walk around in. Actually, several people could walk around in it. And as they're facing this, they're bound. 
and about to be thrown into this fiery furnace. And this is what they say to the king. Listen to this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And the king says, oh, okay, (laughs) not likely. He was even more furious. He got them and he said, you know, make that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been before. And so that furnace was yanked. The crank of it made up to go seven times hotter, so hot that when the soldiers went to throw these men in the furnace, they themselves were killed by it. And so these three courageous young men of conviction, believing in the sovereignty of God, they said, even if he doesn't rescue us, still we are not going to bow down to your image. What a wonderful statement of conviction. What wonderful courage that, that they had. And so they're thrown into the fire. And before long, the king who's watching this, this is his form of entertainment, he's going to show them. All of a sudden, he looks in and he sees. And he calls the people around him that are there too. And he said, weren't there three men that we threw in this furnace? I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And he calls them out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come here. And not a hair on their head was singed. They didn't even smell of smoke. And then he says to them, about them, they trusted in him, in God and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god, for no other god can save. And you find in there that he gives testimony. The king gives testimony to the whole world at that time of God and his ability to save and his power and his might. And I won't go into the other dreams because time doesn't permit. And I could have made 10 sermons out of the book of Daniel for six chapters. And so Nebuchadnezzar has another dream Daniel interprets. And then we get to around chapter 5 and we find that, and this is a particular one I always, you know, remember as a young leader. And I had a group of girls, we did a play about it. And it was about Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, who had taken over the throne. And this was a party guy. He loved to party and big parties. He uh, decided to throw a party for a thousand of his nobles and wives and concubines. And, and they all came. And what a time it was. They were drinking and they were having a great time. I can imagine that there was uh, a floor full of dancers and and everything to stir up the sensual desires of the people in the place. And as they drank more, this arrogant king calls out to his assistants and says, go, go to the place where we keep the goblets that were taken from Jerusalem, the goblets of silver and gold, and bring them here to me. So they were brought to him, and all his guests and the king were drinking wine out of them, 
and keeping partying. And while they did, they were praising the gods of silver and gold and of bronze and of wood and of stone. And as this is happening, something happened at that point. Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, Belshazzar looked up and he saw a hand and a finger writing on the wall beside him. Now understand that no matter how drunk you are, this is something that will sober you pretty quick. And uh, it says he got pale and his knees began to knock and his legs gave way underneath him as he watched this finger writing words on the wall that he didn't understand. And so he calls for the wise men who had no idea what it said. And his queen came, he, she heard this and she came and, and said, reminded him about Daniel and his ability to interpret dreams. Now, in case you think this message is just for young people, it's not. Daniel is older by this time, still serving the Lord, still in a place of favor in the new king's palace. And uh, Daniel interprets the dream. And the part that I always remember, if I couldn't remember anything else, was where uh, part of the writing on the wall, part said, your, your, your kingdom is at an end. You're going to die. And then it said, and, and you are weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. Belshazzar, you're arrogant. You think that you can do what you want and not serve God, not acknowledge God in everything you do. But there's a scale that God has. It's portrayed as balances here like we would see if we were looking in a court where there's balances, the justice. And so we know something from here that God has some way of measuring man's deeds. And we don't want to ever be found wanting, coming up short of his expectations for us. Now, some will say, oh, Marilyn, these are great stories. But it was all law in the Old Testament, and now we live in a day of grace. Yes, we're living in a day of grace between the cross and the coming again of the Lord Jesus. But grace means not that we should sit and coast to eternity, but grace means that it, it, it evokes some response from us. Titus 2 records this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The stories are true. And they were put in the scriptures to teach us how God wants us to live so that we can learn from people like Daniel and his friends who are men of conviction and character and courage. For it takes that in order to live for the Lord. They were taken captive by their enemies with the goal of educating them and, and getting them into the life and the culture of the time. You know, the Bible says that you and I are like that. 
if we put our trust in Jesus, then we are not citizens of this world anymore. As children of God, we're citizens of heaven. And, and yet we're, we're in the culture here, but we should not be of it. And too many people today are content to be and even like to be of the world. We've been here so long that we get into the habits that the world has. We begin to have the same uh, activities as the world has. We begin to think like the world does. And we think that we can do that and just coast along to heaven. But as citizens of heaven... And as servants of God, we live by a higher standard, and God expects that higher standard from us. He wants us to be people like Daniel was and and his friends. And for many, many years, since the beginning of time, the devil, who's the enemy of our souls, has tried in all sorts of pleasurable ways to win people over. Do you know in the days of these people being taken into Babylon... When, after 70 years, their captivity was ended by Darius uh, of, of the Medes, they were, there were many, many people who didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. Why? Because they became entrenched in the culture of the day. They became part of what at the beginning was their enemy. And instead, what they did was they chose to stay Their kids had grown up in that time. Many were born through that time, and they didn't know much more. And it was a lot of pleasure and the good life, and they didn't want to go back. And you know what? The sad thing is, people, that many people are like that today. Many Christians are like that today. Maybe we don't talk as much about heaven because, really, nobody's anxious to go there. We might miss something. Oh, there's things I want to do first as though anything we could do could match the pleasures forevermore that God has in store for us. How we think with such small, worldly minds. And so, this being weighed in God's balances tells us something. The New Testament just emphasizes it more, that there's a coming a day when you and I we'll stand before God and give an account of how we have lived this life that he has given to us. I'm not talking about um, our sins. Those are taken care of if we've come to the cross. And we don't lose our salvation, but you can be sure that you might not hear, well done, good and faithful servant someday because you have chosen not to respond to God's call to live a holy life. The scriptures teach us to be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does it require that we do? Well, our lives should be dedicated to the pursuing of righteousness. Now, don't get me, don't misunderstand me here. This is not about our standing before Christ. Someday when we stand before him, we are, we are righteous because God has declared us righteous when we have turned our lives over to him. But the question is, what have you done since then with the time and the money and the talents that God has given you? Have you used it for his glory or have you used it for your own glory? 
And so we need to pursue righteousness. And we need to pursue holiness, turning from the pleasures that sin brings and getting into God's word, for it's by the word of God that we're made clean and we receive instruction and we receive correction. And it involves pursuing opportunities to serve God by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto him, and to show the love of God to a needy world. He wants to change us, the scripture says, from glory to glory, to perfect us into his likeness, the likeness of his son. And we need to be pursuing opportunities to share the good news of his grace with others. But to do so, we need to be students of the word, workmen who don't need to be ashamed. Someone read in my hearing last week a verse of scripture from the New Testament. In in 2 Timothy 3, it tells what it's going to be like in the last days. And make no mistake about it, people. From everything I read in Scripture and see around me in the newspapers today and on the TV, I believe that we're living in the last days. And I believe that even at my age that I will see the coming of the Lord Jesus again. The signs of the time are everywhere. And so there's coming a day soon when we'll stand before him. And this verse in 2 Timothy 3.10 uses words like what people are going to be like in the end. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without self-control. And this one was the words that stood out to me because it's so indicative of the times we live in that men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And we're warned to have nothing to do with them. In other words, they'll love money and worship the gods of materialism and entertainment. For you and I, people, we need to go back to the cross. For it's there that we see the price, the great price that Jesus paid for our salvation. And it's there we realize the great debt we owe him. We used to sing a chorus, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. And people, that grace, and I hope that every church in the nation preaches about grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus, where he went to the cross and he suffered and died for for us to pay the penalty of the sins that we deserve to pay. But grace can be cheap if we just use it, as I said, to coast through to eternity. And that grace, if we really and truly respond to it, if we have an understanding of it as only the Holy Spirit can make real to us, then I want you to know that there ought to be a difference in the way we live. We ought not to be entrenched in the culture of our society. There should be a difference in knowing that we go to church is not enough. It's how we live our lives day by day. It's what we talk about at work and at school. Do we talk about things of the Lord? I don't mean scary things and 
grabbing people and buttonholing them and, and scaring them away. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just every day showing the love of God to people. They're concerned for them and praying for them and asking God to give you opportunities to speak to them about Jesus. But you know what I find? I find that many people are too busy talking about the program they saw on TV the night before because that seems to be what they have in common with the people. And that makes me wonder whether some of the programs that we're watching are ones that we should watch at all. Don't unbuckle that seatbelt yet. God has saved us and called us to live a holy life. And it tells us in Matthew that we are to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, don't destroy, and where thieves don't break through and steal. And makes this statement, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We need to look at the cross. We need to understand what it means for us the grace of God. And then we need to go out and our lives need to be changed. Barry, we need to, I have prayed, people I have prayed because I am concerned about what I see in North American churches today. Mega churches. Big churches that their platforms seem more as stages for performing arts and to showcase the talents of those that are in their churches instead of being places where God's word goes forth in power for the changing of lives for his glory. And we need to catch a fresh glimpse of Jesus this morning so that And as only the Holy Spirit can make real. And I have prayed because I am not the least bit uh, able to change people. I might get up here and be able to talk, but that's all I'm doing if God the Holy Spirit doesn't take it and make it real to the hearers. And I'm not interested in getting up here and talking if that's not happening. So because of God's faithfulness, I believe his Holy Spirit is at work in this place talking to hearts, looking for people to evaluate what they're doing with their time and their talents and their money, and whether they're using it for their own selves and their own advancement or whether they're using those things for advancement of God's kingdom. And so we want to think of that in closing this morning. God, what would you have me to do? Would you stand, please? And we're going to sing in closing. A very old familiar song.